0: Preach Lord, and that uh, we can just learn from your scriptures tonight. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we find ourselves there with uh, Paul in Acts 17 and he is in Athens if you look at verse 13 just by way of introduction just so you understand what's going on Bibles. if you remember last week he was in Thessalonica and then he left Thessalonica and he went to Berea if you look at verse 13 but when the Jews of Thessalonica acknowledged that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea they came hither also and stirred up the people so Paul left Thessalonica Acts 17 13 he went to Berea he preached the Bible there and he was having great results there and then the Jews of Thessalonica who were persecuting him in Thessalonica, came to Berea in order to stir up the people. They were uh, persecuting him there. You look at verse 14. And immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. So they said, Paul, we're going to send you away. We don't want you to get hurt. Look at the last part of verse 14. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So Silas, who's his Missionary partner and Timotheus, who's the young man that's with them, being trained in the ministry, they stayed in Berea while Paul went to uh, Athens. Look at verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a uh, a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So when Paul gets to Athens, he sends a message to Silas and to... Timothy to Timothy, and he says I want you to come, meet me here with all speed, as soon as possible I want you to meet me in Athens, look at verse 16 now while Paul waited for them at Athens, and this is what we're going to study tonight we're going to look at the events that took place in Athens while Paul was waiting for Silas and Timotheus to show up, the Bible says in verse 16 now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him And I want you to make note of this phrase. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I'd like to give you three points of what happened uh, with Paul in Athens. And point number one, I'd like you to see what Paul saw. I'd like you to see what Paul saw. If you see the last part of verse 16 again, it says, When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And I've done this before, but... It's good for you to hear things again. I want, to, I want to spend a few moments and just talk about what exactly is idolatry. What is idolatry? Because I don't think most Christians really understand what idolatry is. Now if you go with me to, towards your Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 20. And I could, we could go to many different places, but I, I like Exodus because it's very clear. If you go to Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter number 20, look at verse number 4. Exodus chapter number 20, look at verse number 4. Now, if you're not aware of it, Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments. Very well-known passage in the Bible, the Ten Commandments. And if you look at verse 4, we find the second commandment in the Bible. The second commandment, I'm sorry, not in the Bible, but the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter number 4, we find the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says this, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So I want you to see that the second commandment is a command in, in the ten commandments is a commandment anti idolatry. Now, most Christians who have idolatry justify their idolatry by saying we don't worship our idols and 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 that 's good if you look at verse five the Bible and i don't have time to do this now i 've done it before and you can do it on your own or I can talk to you after service but the Bible is very clear that worship if you study the word worship in the Bible the word worship is associated with bowing down okay I know today our Christian our neo charismatic Christian movement has turned Worship into some sort of a rock concert but that's not what the Bible says worship you know when the Bible talks about singing the Bible word for singing is to praise okay worship in the Bible is always referred to bowing and I would uh, challenge you to study that out for yourself and and I've done it before in sermons and it's very clear in the Bible worship is bowing so people say we don't worship idols which is good because in verse 5 it says thou shalt not bow down thyself to them so God says I don't want you to bow yourself to an item, So right now, we've already disqualified the Catholics. Because if you... I'm not, I'm not a Catholic. Never been a Catholic. Uh, but... I've talked to a lot of Catholics and I know my wife used to be a Catholic and I know that one of the things they do when you walk into the Catholic Church is you go up to an idol and you bow yourself to an idol. I don't understand how such a mainstream, supposedly, Christian organization, supposedly, could be so anti the Ten Commandments that are like the most fam- one of the most famous passages in the Bible. But the Bible says very clearly, look at it again, verse 5, Thou shall not bow down thyself to them. Okay, that is a sin. That is a commandment from God. Don't bow to idols. Now, the average Christian says, I'm not a Catholic. I don't bow myself to idols. But I want you to to notice that that's not the only part of the second commandment. Look at verse 4 again. Notice what it says. It says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So I'd like you to see that God not only said, Don't bow yourself to an image. He says, I don't even want you to make an image. Now, please, you know, just think of it logically. If God says, I don't want you to make an image, do you think He wants you to own an image? Do you think He wants you to have an image? Do you think He wants you to purchase an image? Well, let me tell you something. If the person who made the image was wrong, you're probably wrong by buying it from them, okay? The point when He says, Thou shall not make an image. He's saying, I don't want you to have, to possess an image. I don't want you to possess an idol. And all throughout the Bible, through the Old Testament, if you read your Old Testament, you find that whenever kings would come into to the children of Israel, and they would try to get the children of Israel right with God, one of the first things they would do is they would destroy the idols of the land. They would rid the land of idols. Why? Because God says, He not only said, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, but He said, Thou shalt not make he says, I don't even want you to make it. I don't even want you to own it. He says, I shall not make unto thee any graven image. Now, let's talk a, let's talk a little bit about what is an idol. Because We need to understand the Bible. He says, I shall not make unto thee any graven image. The word graven means like when you engrave something. Okay, he's talking about uh, putting... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Putting detail into something. He says, I don't want you to grave an image. The word image is something you see you know you, you look at a picture you say oh that's an image you know you see somebody it's a reflection that's an image okay an image is something we look at but I, but I look, at, look at the Bible okay we gotta let the Bible be our authority look at verse 4 thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness okay the word likeness what does the likeness mean? it means something that's like he says I don't want you to make a graven image and I don't want you to make something that's like of anything." Do you see that? Like of anything. Do you see that? That is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So God says, I don't want you to have the image of, or the likeness of anything. He said, if you can find it in the heavens. If you can find it in the earth, or if you can find it under the earth, I don't want you to have an image of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that pretty much covers everything. Does it not? Heaven, earth, under the sea, under the earth. He says, if there's anything on earth, and you make an image, or you make something that's the likeness of that image, I don't want you to have it. I don't want you to make it, and I don't want you to bow yourself to it. Now, let me take it a step further. You know, one thing that I love about Very Baptist Church is we don't just teach you the biblical principles, but we also apply it. Let's apply it. Let's, let's make it practical tonight. Because I think we still, some people, refuse to really, or, or maybe you just really don't understand, you never thought about it. So let me give you a few examples, okay? Please, you know, just, just think of this in your mind logically. Is a picture of Jesus Christ an image? Yes, it is. So, should we have a picture of Jesus Christ? No, we shouldn't. Because that's what the Bible says. Now some people say, well, what if it's a picture of the Last Supper? Well, look, that's very nice. But is it, is it a picture, does it fall into this qualification? Think about a nice picture, the Last Supper, Jesus Christ in the center. Does it fall into this qualification? Thou shalt not make... Uh, unto thee any grave image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in water under the earth does it fall? Does an image, a picture of Jesus Christ fall under that category? Yes. yes it does if you're honest with yourself you would see that yes it does so a picture of Jesus is idolatry you say what's the Lord's Supper? it's idolatry Okay. What it, and people ask me these things so I'm just going to make it very clear What if it's, you know, here's a famous picture of Jesus. What if it's a picture of Jesus with a child on his lap? Is it an image? Yes, it is. So it's a sin. What if it's a picture of, here's another famous picture. What if it's a picture of Jesus holding a man? You know, saving him. Is it an image? Yes it is. What if it's a picture of Jesus on the cross? Is it an image? Yes it is. What if it... Are you starting to understand that it doesn't matter what position... It matter, he's sitting down. He's standing up. He's in heaven. He's on earth. He's with the disciples. He's with the, It doesn't matter. If it's an image, it's an image. If it's an idol, it's an idol. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Some people say this. What if it's a picture of Jesus with short hair? Because I often preach against the Jesus that has long hair. Because the Bible is very clear. That it's a sin for a man to have long hair. Look... If it's a g- picture of Jesus with short hair, yeah, that's better than the hippie-looking Jesus, but it's still an image. Do you understand what I'm saying? A picture of Jesus is idolatry. Let's take it a little further. A crucifix. You have a crucifix with an image, and it actually falls into this category: any graven image. You think of a crucifix. What is it? It's in an it's a sculpted out picture image of Jesus Christ. So let's see, does it fall into this quadru- category? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Is it a graven image? Yes, it is or any likeness of anything? Is it the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is under there? Well, I, I don't know about if, you, if, if you understand this, but Jesus was on earth, and Jesus is in heaven, so He falls under that category. So a crucifix is idolatry. I know that goes against what most Christians believe, but I'm just trying to apply the Bible to you. A crucifix is an idolatry. Statues are the idolatry. If you have a little statue of the Virgin Mary, it's an idol. If you got, a, you say, I got a little statue, of a, of a saint it's an idol you say I got a little statue of a little fat Buddha it's an idol ok they're all idols they're idolatry and the second of the ten commandments says thou shalt not make unto thee any great image." let's take it a little further let's apply it even harder today Christians like to identify themselves with a little who's ever seen the, the, the Christian fish the Jesus fish. I think there's even a a, a Christian a, a Christian uh, radio station in, in town called The Fish, you know. And, and Christians have these little fishes. They put. Who, who knows what I'm talking about. You, have, you have, you've seen the fish, okay? Now let me a, ask ask me this question. Answer me this question. And they say you know because Jesus said you know I will make you fishers of men, so we're like fish, blah blah blah. Okay, that's fine, that's cute. But look at verse four. Does a fish fall under this category? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Is a fish under the water? So does it fall into that category? Yes. So should we have that image? I'm sorry I'm going really slow with this, but I'm just getting to the point where people get mad at me for preaching the Bible, and they don't seem to understand that it's very, the Bible is very clear about these things. Okay, let's take it a step further. Let's, the Christians like to have a little symbol nowadays too of a dove. And I know this. There's a contemporary Christian, you know, uh, like awards thing, like uh, the Emmys, something for contemporary Christian music, and they gave out the dove. You know, so you know they say because because the light, because the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus Christ like a dove is what the Bible said, and they say so this dove represents the Holy Spirit. Well, again does it fall into this category thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above are doves in heaven are they in the sky or that is in the earth beneath Or that is in the water under the earth. So should we have an image of a duck? Should we have an image of a fish? Should we have an image of Jesus Christ? Should we have a picture of Jesus Christ? I'm trying to explain to you what idolatry is. Because most of us don't understand what idolatry is. You think idolatry is like some idol of like a false god that some heathen in Africa is vowing to know. Idolatry is when you put the picture of Jesus Christ in your house. Idolatry is when you put a little crucifix on your rear view mirror in your car. All of that is idolatry. Let's take it a step further. Good independent fundamental Baptists who never have a crucifix, never have a picture of Jesus Christ, seem to want to sport around a cross. And they'll say, but it doesn't have the Jesus on it, it's just a cross. Now look, praise the Lord for the cross. I preach the cross. The Bible says to preach the cross. The Bible says to talk about the cross. We do all of that. But let's go back. Is a cross, does it fall into this category, any likeness of anything? That is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. I'm just trying to play the Bible Have you ever noticed at our church we have no crosses? Nowhere. There's no cross in the pulpit. There's no cross anywhere. Now look, we preach the cross. We love the cross. We preach the gospel. We love the Bible. But it's idolatry. It's the likeness of something that's on earth. And God doesn't want us to focus on things on earth. He wants us to focus on the Word of God. He wants us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. So we should not have... And if you ever think to yourself, you know, someone gave me that, someone did that, and, and you're worried, you know, just look at it. Look at the scriptures. If it falls under this category, a graven image, or the likeness of anything, the likeness of anything, the likeness of anything, then it's idolatry, according to the Bible. And I know most people don't like that, but that's the Bible. Now go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 16. You're there in Exodus. Look at Leviticus. Just go to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 16. Look at verse 22. Deuteronomy 16, verse 22. Because here's, here's, here's where I, I lose most Christians. The average Christian, I, I've literally had people. will hear me preach this. And they'll come up to me after the service and they'll say something like this. I know the Bible says it's wrong to have a crucifix, but I'm just, I'm just emotionally attached to my crucifix. I'll never get rid of my crucifix. And they think that somehow, because they've got some emotional attachment to something, even though it clearly goes against the Word of God, that they're honoring God with it. They'll think, my crucifix honors God. My little picture of Jesus, you know, where he has a little kid on his lap, and I have it in my kitchen, that, that brings honor to God. That makes me feel closer to God. Well, look at what God thinks about it. Look at Deuteronomy 16, look at verse 22. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image... Look what it says. Which the Lord thy God hated. Do you see that? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that a Christian could have something in their house... And you think it's honoring God... And God says, you know what? Actually, that doesn't make me very happy. In fact, I hate it. I can't stand it. It annoys me. He says, neither shalt thou set thee up any image... What's an image? A picture. Something that looks like something. they have any image which the Lord thy God it. It's not that he kind of doesn't like it. It's not that it makes him a little uncomfortable. It's not that he's ah, you know, I'd rather you not. Know. He says, you know what? Here's what I think about your little crucifix. I hate it. I can't stand it. I wish you'd get rid of it. And I wish Christians would get to the place in their life where they throw emotion in the back seat and stop being worried about, well, I'm emotionally attacked this and just think about I'm emotionally attached to the word of God and if the word of God says it's wrong then it's wrong if it's right then it's right we're going to follow the bible it doesn't matter how you feel about it that's what the bible says you say how does God feel about my image he hates it how does God feel about my idol he hates it how does God feel about my little uh, uh, statue to, of Mary that I have in, in my front yard he hates it that's what it, the bible says go, go, go back to act 17 you understand what an idol is now Look at verse. Look at verse uh, sixteen. Look at what the Bible says. Now, uh, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the holy, the whole, when he saw the city, wholly given to idolatry. Do you see? Maybe now why that bothered him so much. Because he saw the city given to idolatry and he said, man, God hates this. But you, you need to understand something. This, What this means when it says that he saw the city holy given to idolatry, really what it means is this. He saw the city holy given to false religion. Because that's what idolatry represents. Idols represent gods, represent false religion, represent a false teaching. And when Paul was just waiting in Athens, his You know, he hadn't started on the clock yet in his ministry. He was just kicking back, waiting, taking a few days to relax, while Timothy and Silas, his assistant pastors, came into town to help him out. And while he's just going to the marketplace, going to get something to eat, maybe walking around, getting to you know, Athens, famous city, just getting to... He's walking around, and he sees these idols, and he sees these people worshipping this idol. And here's what he saw. I'd like you to know what he saw. Paul saw, with a spiritual view have an eternal soul who are going to spend eternity in hell because their faith was in a false religion the idols represented a false religion and he saw people on their way to hell, let me tell you something today, you go walking up and down these streets, you will see people who are going to spend eternity in hell who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who are in false religions and I, I just wonder do we even notice them? Do we even see them? Do you see people for who they really are? Not just some guy who packed your bags at the grocery store. Not just some lady at the cash register. But do you see that they have a soul? And that that soul will spend eternity in either heaven or hell based on what they believe, based on their faith. Do you see that? Like Paul saw Because as he walked around this city, he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And here's what he realized when he saw this city wholly given to idolatry. He said, this city needs the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This city needs to get saved. This city needs somebody to preach the gospel to them. And the Bible says that he saw that. Look at verse 16 again. I'd like you to see, number one, what Paul saw. Number two, I'd like you to see how Paul stirred. Look what it says. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens... Take note of this phrase. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city holy given to idolatry. So number one, not only did Paul see the need, not only did he see, not only did he identify the need of the hour, but the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him. So not only did he see the need, but he was moved. He was moved. His spirit was moved. He felt their need. Not only did He see what needed to be done, but He felt stirred in His spirit. Go with me quickly. Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 36. Matthew 9, 36. The Bible says, You wonder why Paul was used so greatly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably because he was very much like the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in Matthew nine thirty six. Look at what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. It says in verse 36 of Matthew 9, but when He, talking about Jesus, saw the multitudes, notice Jesus identified the people. Look what it says. He was moved with compassion on them. He was stirred. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Do you see, do you see people like that today? Do you ever just... See people going through their lives with no purpose, with no direction, with just going down, you know, just into trouble into drugs into alcohol into divorce into all sorts of sin and just realize the problem that these people have is not that they need a bailout it's not that they need a better job it's not that they need more education or more government services it's that they need the Lord Jesus Christ Is that they, the, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitude and they were just going about as sheep having no shepherd who were scattered he said he saw them and he was moved with compassion And I I wonder tonight, I just want to ask you a few questions. Do you see the need? And if you do see the need, if you can't identify the need, are you stirred? Do you even care? Look at verse 17, Acts 17, 17. I'd like you to look at the first verse, the first word of the verse. It says, therefore. Therefore. Verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And the Bible says, therefore, do you know what that means? Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ought to to read to see what it's there for. The Bible says he saw the need, he was stirred in his spirit, and then I love the word therefore, because what it's telling us is this, the, the next thing that's going to happen in the story happened because he saw the need and because he was stirred, because he saw the need, because he was stirred in his spirit, therefore he took the next step of what he was going to do. And i like you to notice this, don't just go past that word therefore, that word therefore means this. And this is where Paul leaves the average Christian. This is why Paul was not the average Christian. Because the average Christian will listen to a preaching, listen to a sermon, and they'll see the need. The average Christian will have the Holy Spirit of God move in their heart, and maybe in a sermon they'll be like, Oh man, wow. actually doing something about it. They'll identify and say, my family needs the gospel. My family's like sheep scattered with no shepherd. My family's going to help. My friends are going to help. My neighbors are going to help. My co-workers are going to help. My community's going to help. But then we don't do anything about it. And Paul said, hey, I saw thee. I was stood in my spirit. And I love the next verse. It says, therefore. He said, you know what? I'm not just going to sit here and wait I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna get these people saved. Look what it says. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Why did he dispute with them? Because he saw the city holy given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market. I love this word. Daily with them met. met with him. Daily. Every day he was talking to somebody. Every day he was disputing with somebody. Every day he was sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with somebody. Every day he was trying to get somebody saved and trying to encourage someone, trying to help someone. Why? Why was he so committed to the gospel that every day he tried to preach the gospel? Here's why. Because he saw the need and he was stirred. See, when Paul got stirred, not only did his spirit get stirred, but his actions got stirred. Not only did his spirit get stirred, but he did something about it. And I'm afraid that that's where Paul leaves most of us. Paul's just a man. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. And God can use you and God can use me as much as he used Paul. But we've got to make ourselves available to be used. And I'm just afraid that we haven't made ourselves available like Paul has made himself available. Because Paul saw the need and I see the need. Paul was stirred in his spirit and I'm stirred in my spirit. But Paul actually stood up and said, therefore, I'm going to do something about it and most of us say and i one day i'll do something about it that's the difference look at verse 18 i said number one what paul saw number two how paul stirred number three i'd like to show you what paul said look what it says in verse 18 Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Notice how they're mocking him. Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preacheth unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So they're just mocking him. And they haven't even heard what he has. What will this babbler say? Look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is?" So they bring him to this place, and it seems in the context of the Bible, that it's a place where uh, they have like maybe public debates, maybe open air debates, I don't know. But they bring him somewhere where everybody can hear Paul speak, because they, they want to hear what he has to say. Here, You say, why? why do they want to hear that? Look at verse 20. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. Look at verse 21. For all the Athenians... And strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So these people spent their day, their entire day, they just wanted to say something new, they wanted to hear something new. So when Paul showed up preaching the gospel, they were like, well, he seems like a babbler, and they're just going to mock him. But let's just hear what he has to say. Maybe it'll be, it'll be a fun time, it'll be a good time. Look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Mars Hill is that area where they were going to debate them. And said, this is what I want to show you, this is what Paul said. Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now I want to just stop there for one second. The word superstitious means a belief or notion not based on reason or knowledge. A belief or notion not based on reason or knowledge. When someone is superstitious, they've got a belief and they've got you know different things that they think, and it's not really based on anything logical, reasonable, it's just based on what the stars were doing and, and you know all these different things. Now let, let me just take a minute here and let me pull out this uh, new international version. And let me read for you out of Acts. 17. And you read out of the King James there, out of verse 22, where it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And I'll read for you out of Acts 17, verse 22, out of the non-inspired version. And look at what it says. Paul, you read your King James while I read this. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arepagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Does it say the same thing? What does the King James Bible say? Superstitious. Superstitious. What did the NIV say? You're too religious. You're too religious. Now, hold on a second. Because go with me to, to James. Towards the end of your New Testament, James... Towards the end of your New Testament, and let's see where do we want to go? Go with me to James chapter number one. James chapter number one, towards the end of the New Testament. Go to James chapter number one and look at verse number twenty-seven. James chapter number one, look at verse number twenty-seven. Look at what the Bible says. James one twenty-seven. Your King James Bible. Look what it says. Pure religion. James 1.27 it's right before 1st and 2nd Peter 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, Jude and Revelation towards the end of the New Testament, James 1.27 the Bible says this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world, you see that? according to the Bible is religion a bad thing or is it a good thing? It's a good thing. Now there is a thing as, as uh, false religion, obviously. If you look at verse 26, it says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and righteth not his tongue, but divide, de- deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So you can do religion in a wrong way. We understand that. But pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless, and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. According to the Bible, religion is a good thing. Because you know what religion is? It's something, it's a belief structure based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Acts 17, according to the NIV, he says, Hey, hey, this is what I noticed. I noticed your city is wholly given to idolatry. And I just want to give you a compliment because you guys are too religious. Does that make any sense? I mean, Paul is giving them a compliment, according to the NIV. But in the King James Bible he says you're too superstitious. Now, as we continue reading, you'll see how that fits the context. Because he's telling them, hey, you're not you, you have all these beliefs, but they're not based on reason, they're not based on not you understand how superstition and religion are actually the exact opposite of each other? Because religion is based on the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of the Bible, which is very reasonable. God Together, let us reason together. I'm sorry, so it's very reasonable, very logical. Book God is a logical uh, God, and we put our faith in Him, and our religion is based on Him. Superstition is based on whatever the Jamaican lady on TV said when she was reading the Tara cards or whatever they're called. You see, they the exact opposite things. But in the King James Bible, he says, hey, you're too superstitious. And then he begins to preach to them, which makes sense in the context. And the NIV, he gives them a compliment. He says, man, you're really religious. Let me tell you something. Things that are different are not the same. And i got to ask you a question. Which one did God say? Did God say superstition or did God say religious? Because he only said one. He didn't say both. And if you, and if you look at the context, which one fits? Religion's is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You can't be too religious, New International Version. I mean, could, could, there, could you be too, you know, visiting the fatherless and loving people? Could you do that too much? Of course not. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Let me tell you something. The, the issue of this, the King James issue is not an issue of it's easier to read. If, it, if that was it, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. The issue we have with it is that they change the words, they change the doctrine, they change the meaning, they put the exact opposite teachings in there. Look at verse 23. Look at what Paul says. He says, you're too superstitious, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. See see how that fits the context that they're too superstitious? He's like, look, you're too superstitious because I was going around, I saw your devotions. In fact, I even saw an altar to the unknown God, the God that you don't know. And I love what he says because he says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. He says, you know the God that you don't even know? You know, you have all these idols, but then you, you know that these idols aren't it. You know that there's more to it than just these idols. So you put up a, 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 an altar to the God you don't know, to the unknown God, and you worship Him ignorantly. The word ignorant means you just don't have knowledge of Him. And I love what Paul says. He says, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, and then Paul says this, Him, referring to the unknown God, he says, Him declare you. you know what he's saying He said let me teach you about the real God He says let me He, he said I know you got these idols and I, got, I know you got all this superstition and I know you got all these little you know this little elephant and this little fat Buddha and this little Mary and this little crucifix but let me explain to you about the God you don't know the God you need to know. let me talk to you about him look what he says look at verse 24 God that made the world and all things therein. You know what he's saying? He's saying, let me, let me give you a lesson in regards to the God you don't know. Number one, God is the creator and the sustainer of life. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Notice says, verse 25, Neither is worship with man's hands, as though he needeth anything Seeing He gave it, look what he, he giveth to all, life and breath and all things. He says, God is number one, the creator. God, number two, is the sustainer. He's the sustainer of life. He gives you your breath. He gives you everything you've got. Look at verse 26. And hath made, He's the creator, of one blood, all nations. Let me tell you this, we're all equal. No one is better than anyone else. We all have the same sinful blood from Adam. Talk talked about that on Sunday night. And have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of them. For in him, look what he says. He's, he's explaining to them the, the, the real God, the creator. For in him we live and move and have our being. Do you see that? For in Him we live, and move, and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, For we are also His offspring. The word offspring there, I don't want you to misconfuse that. It's not talking about we're His offspring in the uh, regards to children. Because if you study the word offspring, the word offspring also refers to a product. Like someone could say, Oh, look at that nice painting. That was an offspring of an inventive mind. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a product. So he says, He produced us. He made us. We know that we become His children when we get saved. Look at verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by the art of man's device. So, except number one. He said, let me show you about this unknown God, the God that you don't know. I want to declare Him to you. He said, He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. He said, the God that made the world and all things therein. He said, uh, seeing that He giveth it to all life and breath and all things. He said, and hath made of one blood all nations. He said, "For Him, for in Him we live and move and have our being. He said, the first thing you need to understand about this unknown God is this. He created you and He sustains you. If you're alive, it's because He allows you to. He says, you're his offspring. You're his product. But he said, number two, not only is he the creator, he said, there's God that you worship that you don't even know? He said, who, by the way, I know. Let me introduce you to him. He said, number one, he's the creator. Number two, since he created us, we are not greater than him. Listen to what I'm saying. He's teaching them, since he created us, we are not greater than him. Look at Verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord in heaven and in earth, look what He says, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Look at verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needeth anything. Look at verse number 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we are not to think that the Godhead, notice what He says, we are not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man, you see what he's saying? He's said, here's the problem with idolatry. You say, well, Pastor Emmanuel, why are you so upset about idolatry? Why can't I have a little crucifix? Why can't I have a little picture of Jesus? Why can't I have a little, you know, fish on my, uh, you know, bumper of my car? Here's why. Because the Bible says that God, God takes offense to idolatry. Because here's what God says, I'm bigger than a little three-inch crucifix. I'm bigger than a little four-inch cross. I'm bigger than a bumper sticker. I'm bigger than a picture. He said, I created you. He said, I sustain. And when you try to, you know, uh, uh, identify me or depict me in a little tiny picture, he said, You're doing a disservice because I'm bigger than you. See, the problem that we have with God in our society is this we have made God very small in our society. We've made him, we think of God in a very small way. That's why we don't make time for church. That's why it's so hard to get to church. That's why it's so hard to read the Bible. That's why it's so hard to pray. That's why it's so hard to go soul winning. That's why it's so hard to fast. That's why it's so hard to give up sin. That's why it's so hard. You, you, all these things we struggle with. You know, you understand why it's hard? Is because we don't have a big picture of God. We don't understand the God of the Bible. We think of God as just our little buddy, our little friend, our little you know Santa Claus. The Bible says that He's the Creator of the universe. He sustains our life. He gave us salvation, and if we get a big picture of God. We understand that. Go through Isaiah. Let's do do it quickly. I'm almost done. I promise. Isaiah, towards the end, uh, towards the end of the New Testament, the big uh, books there, you know, the prophets. Isaiah's is the the first major book of the prophets. Uh, the the major prophets there. Isaiah chapter number six. Isaiah chapter number six. Look at verse one. Isaiah chapter number six. Look at verse one. Isaiah's talking. Look at what happens when you get a Real picture of God. Isaiah chapter number six, verse one. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. This is what Isaiah said. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Notice what he said. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled. The temple. This is what Isaiah says. When I saw God, I saw him high, I saw him lifted up. His train filled the temple. Look at verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. He said, Above his temple there was uh, above his throne there was these creatures, these seraphims, each had six wings. The twain he covered his face, and the twain he covered his feet, and the twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Notice what he said. Isaiah said, I got a view of God. And here's what I saw. I didn't see a little idol. I didn't see a little fish. I didn't see a little cross. I didn't see a little crucifix. I didn't see a little statue. He said, when I saw God, I saw Him high. I saw Him holy. I saw Him lifted up. His train filled the temple. I saw these beasts. They had six wings and their wings covered their face, covered their feet. They were flying and they were screaming and they were When you got an accurate view of God, look at verse 5. Look at what he says. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what would happen if you got an accurate view of God? It changed your life, it humbled you. Isaiah said, When I saw God in his glory, in his power, as the creator of the universe, he said, all I could say was, Woe is me. He said, For I am undone. He said, I, He identified his sin. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. See, in our society, we've made God a little, Jesus a little bobblehead. We put on our dashboard. And you know what Paul was trying to teach these people is this you know all these little idols? That's not God. He said, God is big. God is powerful. God created you. God sustains you. Let me just go through these verses quickly. Look at verse 30. He says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. He said, you know, when you were ignorant about God, He winked at it. He gave you time. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He says, you know, God winked at it before. God just kind of, you know, gave you time before. He said, at the times of His his ignorance, God winked at it. He said, when you were ignorant about it, when you didn't know what you were doing wrong, God just kind of winked at it. But Paul says, now that I'm here, and now that I've declared unto you the God of the Bible, the Creator of the universe, he says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day. He says, here's why He wants you to repent. Because Judgment Day is coming. He says, because He has appointed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained whereof He hath given assurance unto all men that He hath raised Him from the dead. He's saying, you know what? Athenians, you're very right, superstitious. Not religious, superstitious. because you have a very small view of God. He said, God is big, and God is powerful. And that same God is here to tell, I'm here to tell you about that God. Time is running out. Judgment day is coming. You will stand before a holy God. And He says, you better get saved. And He says, hey look, and those who do get saved, look at the last part of verse 31. He says, Whereof He had given assurance unto all men? He says, hey, you can have assurance of your salvation. What's the assurance of your salvation? When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, is that, in that He raised Him from the dead. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if God could have the power to raise the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, then you know what? He has the same power to raise me from the dead one day. He says, that's my assurance. That's, that's my faith. That's my pure religion. Look at verse 31. He says, Pastor Jimenez, what would happen if I went out and I preached the gospel? What would happen if I went out and I became a soul winner, like you talk about? What, what would happen? Here's what would happen. Let me tell you exactly what would happen. Look at verse 32. I love the Bible. Because it matches up so perfectly. You go soul winning me, with me, you'll see these reactions. When, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, so they're listening to him preach. Look what it says. Number one, here's the reactions you get from people. Some mocked. Some will laugh. You go soul winning with me, I promise you, there will be people who will laugh at you. Who will slam the door on your face. And before you run off crying and thinking you're suffering for Jesus, you better remember all the people that gave up their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, because some teenager laughed at you. Some will mock. And what it says, Another said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Some are going to think about it. They'll say, I'll, hear I'll, I'll I'll hear you again. I'll think about it. Look at verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. Verse 34. How be it? Here's the beautiful part. Some will mock. And some will think about it. But verse 4, How be it? Certain men clave unto him and believe. That's why we do it. That's why we go. You say, when you go soul winning, do they all get saved? No. Some of them laugh. Some of them think about it. Some of them don't want to hear it. But some believe. Some get saved. Some clave unto him. And believe. Among the which was Dionysus, Dionysius, and the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with that. That's why we do it. That's why Paul was stirred. I I know I preach this a lot, but it's in the Bible a lot. And when you preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, you're kind of just stuck with what it says. Mm -hmm. If I could make something up, (laughs) I would, but then I'd be a heretic. When Paul was on break, (laughs) he looked around, he saw the need. Do you see the need of a community that's dying and going to hell? His heart was stirred. His spirit was stirred. Do you get stirred? I hope you do. I'd be very afraid if you weren't stirred by the Holy Spirit of God. But then he said, therefore. He said, I'm going to do something about it. And he said, let me tell you about the God you don't know. You know, I love to go to these Catholics and I love to go to these Mormons. I love to go to these Jehovah's Witnesses and say, I know you've got a a little God your worship. But let me tell you about the God you don't know. The God of the Bible. The God who can save you from your sins. The God that doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to repent. He doesn't need you to get baptized. He doesn't need you to help Him out with your good work. He's big and He's powerful and He can save you and He can give you the assurance if you'd only believe. And you say, if we do that, Pastor, are they all going to get saved? No. Some will mock and some will think about it but there will be certain that will believe. I can promise you that. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, and I just pray that we would all be challenged to be like Paul. Not only to see the need. Lord, I'm asking for me personally. To not just see the need, not just get stirred, but then to do something about it. Lord, that in my life, people could say, man, he saw the need and he was stirred, therefore, he did something about it. Lord, I pray you'd help us have a church of people that not only see the need and get stirred, but therefore they do something. They would say something. They would open their mouth. They would preach the gospel. Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for allowing us to preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. In your precious name I pray. Amen.